When COVID-19 hit, the doors to all independent venues across the country closed and attending live concerts stopped. The independent venues and promoters from every state in the U.S. are banding together to fight for survival. Many of us are at risk of closing our doors forever unless federal assistance is provided. More information is available at SaveOurStages.com. Brought to you by NEVA, a 501c6. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hey, everyone. Really quick bonus episode today, but something that is incredibly important for all of you to pay attention to. We all obviously love music. Independent venues are at a serious risk. Like your favorite local venue could be gone by the end of this year and can never return. And that is a scary proposition, not only for me, but everybody else that depends on these music venues. And I had the honor and privilege to work with a friend of mine. Uh, His name is Steve Chilton. He is part of the board of the Save Our Stages campaign, which is run by the National Independent Venue Association. So basically, it's a collective of all of our independent venues nationwide that are collecting signatures, fundraising, doing so many things to bring to light the, the struggles that so many of these venues are facing right now because they cannot have bands play in there. They cannot create any revenue beyond just people, you know, buying t-shirts and donating and all that stuff. This is, I mean, it like hurts my heart to talk about this because I can't even imagine a world in which, you know, my son doesn't have music venues, local music venues to go to. Like it's such an incredibly important thing to me. So I had a discussion with Steve because uh, he's part of the board of this, and I've known Steve for quite some time. He booked many, many shows in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for me, and he's just a stand-up dude. And so I had him walk me through you know, some of his uh, experiences as a promoter because I, I think it is a side of the industry that is completely overlooked in regards to how important it is and the people that put on our shows. So we kind of talk about you know that at the beginning, but then we talk about uh, you know what you need to do. So if there is anything that you take away from this episode, go visit saveourstages.com. You can write to your local congressperson. You can uh, contribute financially there. There's a lot of different resources that you can do. And if you can't contribute money, please just spread the word on social media. This is incredibly important. I know there are so many struggles going on right now, and so many things are displaced. But because we all care about music, we really, really need to step up in this particular way. So here's my conversation with Steve and please visit saveourstages.com. The most logical place for me to start is obviously when we kind of first ran across each other and met each other. I know that you booked Makoto at uh, Modified Arts. I want to say that was probably the first time we met. I I don't know if that was the first time, but it definitely would have been one of the first times because uh, I know and I got connected to Dakota uh, I got connected to Makoto through De Soleil yes. we're working with De Soleil so I'm not exactly sure the timeline of right, that, right. That, with a De Soleil first and then D- Makoto show or was Makoto first and then I don't remember uh yeah yeah, it was definitely, yeah. that's definitely yeah. more of it 
Right, right. No, I, and it's it's hard to when you know all that that timeline gets kind of you know jumbled together where it's like, oh yeah. But I just always was struck by you not only because you are a real human being because a lot of these you know <laughs> a lot of the you know show promoters kind of uh, get into a weird space where uh, you know the the business side kind of takes over. And then you don't become a human again. And you never struck me as that, you know, you would book shows of all, you know, shapes and sizes. And I think that was what, uh, you know, really attracted me to you as a human being. Cause you know, there are a lot of people where, uh, you know, and I understand it gets, you know, messy and complicated when business comes into play, but, uh, you know, not forgetting that you're doing this because you like music and I, you never did forget that in my opinion. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of characters in this business, and there's a lot of, you know, people that do get into it for the, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to make money, or it's a quick, and it's, I think most of those are people that don't last, you know, all the people I'm working with now, it's like, we're all the ones that are the lifers, and they're like, I can't imagine what I would do if I wasn't doing this, versus the people that are like, oh, this isn't working anymore, cool, switch real estate broker time or whatever <laughs> you know uh, yeah yeah you yeah. know so it was like and that period especially that was when i was just doing like diy shows and doing stuff at modified and it was like never at that period it was like i wasn't trying to make this my job i just wanted to promote shows and like doing it you know and it was kind of a little after that where it was like oh no i need like i need to make this my job <laughs> like i need to make money to do this and do be able to you know, I, these shows need to be successful if I'm going to grow them, you know, uh, back then it was like, oh, if everything breaks even, I'm happy. And then, you know, well, the breaking even doesn't pay for the rest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, so. it, the, I always was uh, humbled anytime that, you know, I put on a show or, you know, did music festival. And when discussing, you know, like with my parents, where it was like the time and effort put into it, equating to an hourly wage and like when i actually looked at that it was like oh geez yeah probably making like 10 cents an hour <laughs> like that's not sustainable <laughs> oh well that that's how i feel right now again you know <laughs> yeah but, yeah yeah um, for, no, but i know what you mean where it was like all this work and then it's you know at one point it definitely felt like oh i'm putting all this work in just to create my own job of oh i made 50 bucks tonight on this show that i put 20 hours into you know or 30 hours into or whatever and yeah like oh and i made 100 bucks and it's like well that doesn't really pay for all the lead up time yeah 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 for sure and, and i mean and honestly like that's only a you the intangible things that you get from that that you you know you can't put in sort of capitalist terms like you know that doesn't you know that, that doesn't pay the bills but that still provides so much value and obviously keeps you connected to the the thing that you care about to begin with and stuff like that so yeah, yeah it's absolutely a, i mean it, it is the it, you've got to be in it for all the other reasons if you're, you're just in it for making money you're in the wrong uh wrong space yeah <laughs> no for sure and what what attracted you like uh, you know when you because you were very um, you know, musically diverse in the sense of you would put on shows, you know, I mean, they all, you know, kind of fell under the umbrella of independent music at large, but you, it struck me that you necessarily didn't care about the genre as long as you felt, you know, a connectivity with it and an idea that this was part of some sort of community. Um, so was that, was that the main attracted factor for you? 
I, I was always a fan of lots of different music and you know, I, I think a lot of, especially smaller promoters and smaller promoters in the world, you know, we were in back then, uh, you know, we're very genre specific. Like I'm, I'm into this genre and that's what I promoted. I'm the punk rock guy. I'm the metal guy. I'm the hip hop guy. I'm the whatever, um, you know, and I totally understand those promoters. Uh, but that was just never me. It was like, yeah, I want to promote a metal show one night and a punk rock show the next night and a singer songwriter the next night. And it's like, I like lots of different things and I would get bored if I was promoting the same show night after night. And, uh, you know, I just always like lots of different things and could see more the merit in a lot of different, you know, I wanted to be promoting the best of everything. I want to promote the best punk rock band and the best metal band and the best singer songwriter, but I never had a genre, you know, back then it was definitely more indie punk rock, you know, early screamo, like that was the stuff. It's expanded dramatically over the years, but uh, yeah, it was never one genre or another and uh you know just kind of always grew I was always a kid that was in lots of you know walked in different scenes like I never you know was at one or the other place Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, well I mean that speaks to you know kind of you as a person where you were comfortable in a lot of these scenarios whereas you know some people like you were mentioning you just kind of stick to to one lane and there's obviously merit in that but at the same time it does um, you know, it might limit your exposure to the fact, like you said, you you would never think of being like, I, I just want to work with the best people regardless of genre. And that's, you know, that, that's also inspiring to put you back in whatever musical genre you are a fan of, where it's just like, oh, wow, like I learned a lot from doing this show and I can carry over to this other show. Oh, totally. And that, that learning from lots of different genres, y- you just learn stuff that you wouldn't have otherwise and you can bring it over and it's, you know, this seed does this. Oh, but if I take that idea and do it with this metal show and no one else is doing it over there. And I think, especially for bands, I think bands on the other side get so in like, I'm in my little world and I'm watching all these other bands that are in my little world and they miss what everyone else is doing. And it's like, I think a lot of bands for get uh, sort of the message and the media mixed up sometimes. And it's like, yeah, I'm not saying you should enjoy these other methods but hey this country band is doing this cool marketing thing you can change the logo and change the the marketing of it and it's a cool metal thing suddenly and you you can learn a lot from lots of different genres and maybe musically you don't uh or you know maybe it's not the music doesn't but like the business side there's so much you can learn from interesting stories of oh these DJs are doing this thing oh what if a rock band did that you know, um, and it's not always about us. I, I think a lot of people mis- can't separate the aesthetics from the the core, or you know, the aesthetic of something from the function of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You, the idea of being able to take principles from all of these, um, you know, disparate scenes or whatever, or you know, musical genres, and being able to apply to that. I mean, it's like you know. I always point back to, you know, Steve Aoki, where it's just like, clearly people, you know, in the EDM scene weren't doing stage dives until he did. And clearly we all know where that comes from. Yeah. And you, you watch these, like a lot of these young hip hop acts, you know, Odd Future and Tyler, the creator, and, you know, that they, 
that the, the crowd looks like a punk rock crowd. You know, like if you would just watch from the stage, you would think it's a punk rock band playing because the crowd's crowd surfing and moshing and, you know, it's hip hop kids, you know, and it's, you know, so it's lots of different things that spread over and it's, um, you know, that's always like fun where you go like, sometimes now you can go be like, oh, I know where that came from or I know where that, right. that right. is. Like the audience may not like, oh, this guy's doing something totally new and you're like, Oh no, that's just black flag, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. We're you know, all standing on the shoulders of giants. Like yeah, everybody's yeah, building yeah. on something. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but that's where you take an idea and it's, you, you take an idea and totally turn it on its head and it becomes a different idea, you know, but mm-hmm. if you're only watching the same bands all the time, you're, you're going to miss that. You know, if you watch the same bands um, and the best bands don't do that. I mean, the, you know, you know, thrice being a great example from our world that, you know, just was always looking at different things, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, they never compared themselves to the same bands that were in that, you know, that might be the most obvious. Uh, yeah, there was, there was building off of, uh, their pastiche of influences and being able to bring all of these, uh, you know, elements together that, you know, sometimes might seem, like they are, you know, incongruent, but when weaved together appropriately, it's like, oh no, that, that's, that's a, that's a fresh take or that, you know, I I see where you've pulled all these things from, but the presentation of how you're doing it now is, is really, you know, incredible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, the, uh, I always like to, uh, you know, ask, especially from a, you know, sort of show promoter perspective, the, uh, you know, you, you make a lot of mistakes when you're first doing things, you know, whether your, your first shows as a band or your first shows as a promoter, uh, what were some of like the foundational things that, you know, you learned initially where it was like, man, I made a big mistake by doing, you know, these things that, you know, informed me to try to not make those mistakes in the future or something that, you know, you, you made a mistake, but that was like the, uh, you know, a, a real huge learning experience for you. I mean, obvious one is just biting off more you can chew financially. Like if you don't really understand the economics as a promoter is like, that's where the, the early mistakes are. And I was lucky in doing small enough shows that I got to learn those mistakes, uh, you know, on a small enough scale, uh, not understanding the room economics, not understanding, you know, what the real expenses are where you realize, oh, wait, I didn't think about all these different bills. So that that's definitely what every promoter goes through of just learning, learning what, what it really costs to put on a show. Um, you know, um, yeah, uh, that's always a good, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) I just, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you a random example and this might trigger something for you. I remember, uh, you know, playing an early show at chain reaction and then uh, walking into the box office to settle for the evening. And I remember, uh, you know, uh, very vividly, uh, Ron Martinez, you know, a legendary, you know, dude in the music scene at large, booking agent. Exactly. Final Ron Flick. Um, So he, you know, I mean, Taken was getting paid like 150 bucks or something. But like, I I walked in there, I, I took the envelope, and I was just leaving. And then Ron stopped me and said, Ray, you always have to count the money in front of the promoter. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, he's like, I know we are friends and I would never rip you off intentionally. He's like, but the moment that you leave the room, it's my word versus yours and my word is always going to win. 
And it like, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, I, you know, if you accidentally didn't put that $50 bill in there and I was like, oh, it's a hundred and hundred fifty. Whoa. Oh, geez. Like, and I go back in there. I mean, Ron would have been a stand up person and been like, oh yeah, I forgot to give you 50. But you know, if that's a person that you don't have that relationship with, then it's much harder to do, <laughs> to do I, that. I have told young bands and tour managers that so many times and I've told people like, like, I do not get offended when you want to count it in front of me, especially if you're a young band for the first time dealing with large, you know, a good amount. And it's like, and like Red said, it's like, I'm never going to rip a band off, but you know, especially when you're settling a show late at night, like people miscount and a thousand dollars turns into 900 because you miscounted and you can do that right in front of someone and be like, Hey, this is 900. Really? Oh shit. Sorry. Here's that other, here's the missing hundred. It's like, people make mistakes uh, and you can fix it. So that's a great one. And I tell bands that young bands all the time, like count it in front of me. Like I want you to count it in front of me because exactly. Like, I don't want you thinking I screwed you when I didn't. Uh, I could think of one uh, embarrassing one. Uh, I did a show for Chuck Reagan uh, from hot water music. And at the time it was like, a really bit like that's an artist I love. I kind of, you know, I'm now friends with him, but at the time I had met him, but you know, someone I really looked up to it was like one of the first shows he did, you know, that wasn't hot water and was doing it with another promoter friend of mine, like cut in another promoter friend of mine who had always done the hot water shows. And the night of the show, I was like, you know, before the show I was like, I either want to me settle the show and I'll stay sober and run it. Or I want to be able to have a good time and drink and you settle it and run it. But I want to know now, like, which one are we doing? And he's like, no, no, no. I've always done hot water. I've known Chuck forever. I don't need you to help me settle a show. And I was like, sweet, great. I'm going to sing and have a good time and you can handle the money. End of the night, like an hour after the show, I'm in the green room. I'm not anywhere near sober. And Chuck's uh, wife, the TM Jill, who was also his TM, comes and finds me and is like, I've been trying to settle with Will for, for two hours. Your name's on the contract. You're responsible. I need to get paid now. And I'm like, like Will hasn't settled with you? What's, what's going on? And so right. I go and uh, find Will. Hasn't counted the money. We have no idea how many people paid. Uh, you know, and she's we're like counting the money in front of her, and she's just giving me the dirtiest stink eye. And I'm like, you know once she realizes the money was there and they weren't getting screwed was like i know that we had said that will was settling it but your name's on the paperwork you're responsible and i'm like you're right I, my name was on the paperwork like i needed to make sure this happened right uh, yeah never no. yeah, <laughs> that's was a very early on that was very early on when it was still like i'm doing a show this is a this is my party and then a like never settled a show where i wasn't dead sober since then i was just like that is not you know, and that show was like such a big deal to me at that moment in time. And I was just like, I'm never doing this again. Rockabilia.com. You know what to do, right? Well, if you don't, band merch is incredibly important. And getting stuff shipped to your house now is even more important. So how about you combine both of those things and you go to Rockabilia.com and use the code PC100Words. That is an incredibly important code for you to use because it gets you 15% off. They sell all officially licensed band merch from pretty much every band you can possibly imagine. They sell puzzles. They've got 
awesome stuff for summer, you know, tank tops, get yourself, uh, you know, as you're doing your, your socially distanced hikes or your socially distant pool time, please do that. And it's rad because all of the bands get paid royalties on these officially licensed garments. When you just randomly Google a band name and band merch, you sometimes will see some pretty horrific bootlegs that exist out there, whether it's on Amazon, whether it's on eBay, whatever the case may be, that is not what you need to do. You need to go to rockabilly.com, buy the real deal, independently run company, ships out of the Midwest, amazing customer service. I can't tell you enough about how much this company means to me and means to the music universe at large. So rockabilly.com, use the code PC100words, 15% off your order. No, I, and I appreciate you sharing that because I think it is, it, you know, the the level of responsibility when you're working within stuff that is entertainment related. A lot of people, you know, don't view that as, a, you know, something that needs to be taken seriously. And when I say that, it's mostly from the consumer side, you know, like people understand that there's money passing hands or what have you. But, you know, it's just like, oh, this is all good times and fun. And it's like, well, no, like some of this is serious because this is, you know, people's livings and all that other, you know, all the other ramifications that come into it. So, you know, it's it's cool that you were able to realize like, oh, yes, like, okay, my, my name is on the paperwork. <laughs> I'm doing this the right way. Yeah. And I mean, that was very early. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus years ago now. And it was just sort of like, just that sort of realization that like, oh, I'm responsible. I'm responsible even if other people are supposed to be responsible, you know, it's like, that's, it stopped me. And it's, uh, you know, that's been a fun transition the last couple of years. It's like, I've kind of transitioned out of settling most of my shows and making sure that I have a dedicated rep at every single show to be responsible so that, you know, the only way I can do as many shows as we're doing now, or, you know, we're doing pre COVID was, uh, by making sure that there is always someone who represents me, who's, taking care of business and on site at all times, you know, and getting to yep. that point. And, you know, that's been a good trend, you know, that's the transition the last couple of years, because back then when I met you, I was at every single show. Like I was a one person. Office. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You're doing everything. I was, doing yeah. every, I was the runner in the hospitality and working box office. And, you know, I was the full, the full shop. And now it's like, we've got a team and it's training people to run shows the way I want them run. And it's also after 20 years of doing this, I want you to run it the way I want to run it, not the way that I'm actually going to do it. Cause I'm going to get lazy and go, Oh, one more writer to shop. Whereas it's like, I want that done. Right. <laughs> not the way right. I would actually do it. I want to do it done the way I want it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, um and that 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 transitions into a good point in regards to uh, you know I mean the reason why we're having this discussion is because you know the music industry has been you know upended in so many different aspects from you know obviously the touring stuff people trying to figure out you know how to release music all of these things but you know more specifically with with your experience like uh, you know what I, I guess what was the the last show that you did before you uh, you know you were uh, mandated to close down and you know for obvious reasons. Um, you know, walk me through that kind of experience as that was all happening. Uh, yeah, well, we started noticing it a couple weeks before everyone else sort of shut down and that some shows started canceling. You sort of saw it seeing in other cities what it was going to mean. And then when South by Southwest canceled that first couple of days in March, I think March 2nd or 3rd or whatever it was, we just saw a string of shows get canceled because everyone that's touring to South by was like, well, we're not going to South by anymore. Let's cancel these shows. 
So we started seeing shows cancel like two weeks before everyone else shut down. Uh, and then we had a show with the band The Frights at Crescent Ballroom, who Frights, awesome band on Epitaph, amazing band. We were on pace to sell out. Uh, and we had them in Phoenix and Tucson. And that was the first days of their tour. And literally, they were coming from San Diego, do Phoenix, then do Tucson. Then they were supposed to go to South by, and then it's their album release tour. And so we were all week, all their shows were starting to get canceled. And I was talking to their agent and their manager almost daily. What What's going on? What's going on in Phoenix? Can we do these shows? How do we feel? And the night before they were supposed to come out, we had to cancel Tucson because Tucson put a uh, a ban. And they're like, do we do tomorrow? Do we do Phoenix? And I was like, I'm game to go, but like, I can't promise you the show's going to happen but I'm down to do it. And that was the Friday night, the, I want to say March 13th, you know, and they drove out and that day they Phoenix announced a band that would start the Saturday, not the Friday. And we're like, okay, one last show. Uh, or maybe this band started Sunday, but uh, you know, and so we were joking that we sold out the entire tour cause they did one show. One <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah. The first show was the last show, um, you know, and it had a definitely very weird, surreal vibe knowing that like, this is going to be one of the last shows in the country for a minute. Um, you know, and you know, they were glad it was their album release tour and they were really glad that they got to do at least one show of like their album had come out that week. It was supposed to be, you know, the whole tour mm -hmm. looking great. And then at least we got to do one show. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, then and was that, w w was it one of those things where, I mean, because you were, uh, you were paying attention to, you know, everything that was locally happening and I'm sure you were just in contact with uh, people kind of across the country as all of this stuff was happening. Cause I mean, that's what your experience was definitely where people were just like, I don't like, I guess we should do this show, but I don't know how I feel about this. Like it's just so much uncertainty. Yeah. I mean, we're not, medical experts what do we know you know uh like that's not our expertise and so it was like deciding whether or not we should do it and we had a show the next night with a different band and they basically got we we're supposed to have a show with the, the band the saturday night yeah the band must have supposed to start monday i guess uh and they got in the van and decided why are we doing this driving to phoenix from la to play one show got in the van turned back around and went home and the agent called me and said yeah the band decided they you know because they were the same thing where their whole tour canceled and right. during the week they're like well let's keep phoenix it's easy for us to just pop over and do at least the one show and they decided why are we doing this and turned around and i you know the agent called me he's like hey sorry i know we talked yesterday about doing it and i was like no i understand like no they don't need to like i get it like they don't want to come like right. you know, that saturday night we'd you know, we let the locals kind of still play at Rebel, and that was the last show at Rebel. Uh, you know, they literally got in the van because the band hadn't been together in a van talking about why are we doing this, and the yeah, and yeah, so it, it and with with yeah, oh, for sure. And so, you know, with that, I, I think a lot of people, um, you know. I don't think people, uh, you know, recognize the struggle, uh, of being a promoter of, you know, of any level. I mean, even up to the, you know, live nation golden voice scenarios, uh, you know, it's always, there's always a lot of risk factors involved with it. Um, but you know, this risk factor, you know, completely just, 
you know, cut out the legs from everybody. And I, I don't think most people understand, um, you know, the uh, financial ramifications of how our country, uh, you know, does not support arts at large. If you're comparing it to other countries, whether it's Canada, the UK, you know, clearly Europe. Um, and so, you know, w- walk me through, you know, your, uh, as you started to kind of realize that like, okay, this was going to be, you know, a much longer term thing. And, you know, what can I do to not only uh, help myself, but then, you know, be able to kind of bring light to the scenario that so many people are going through of all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, well, we were so independent venue week started doing right when this happened. uh, That first right when South by they started doing these zoom town halls for all the venues that were supposed to be part of independent venue week across the country, like a hundred of us or so uh, just to talk about it. And the first week was like, Oh, isn't this crazy? Like, what have you heard? What's going on where you are? And then the second week was just dire. And we realized all, you know, a bunch of us realized like, this is going to be a horrible problem. This is like, you know, how are we going to survive through June? Like no one is speaking. And at the time everyone was writing these articles, like, don't worry about concerts. They'll come back. The touring industry is healthy. Like, you know, these big giant companies will be able to survive this and concerts will be fine in the long run. And we're like, yeah, but we need to survive the short run. Um, And so that's where Neva, the national independent venue association grew out of was the, the, you know, a handful of us, who had been on these town halls and Reverend Moose from Marauder who, you know, runs independent venue week. We're all just talking like we need to do something big or we're all, we're all screwed. Like no one is talking about us. No one is thinking about us. No, we were all thinking we might be closed for the rest of the year. And now I think that prediction is even more accurate that like, it may not be that there's concerts for the rest of the year. And, how do you survive as a business that has incredibly high overhead and zero revenue for 12 months? Like no one can do that. Like no one can do that. Uh, and so it was just like, we need to all get together and do something big or none of us are going to survive. Um, and that's where Neva came out of was came out of those conversations. And we quickly formed the board, which I somehow ended up on it. Uh, I don't really know how, uh, <laughs> just being loud and vocal, I guess, out of those, those groups, uh, you know, so they asked me to be on the board. Um, and you know, there's a whole lot of us all working together and we immediately hire, you know, raise a little bit of sponsorship money from, uh, the good folks at C tickets, E tickets and light all were great to step in and give us a little bit of seed money to get started. And we hired some lobbyists and we're like, we need to like, we need to change the story on this. Like we need people to realize, you know, that first aid, that PPP was, um, was supposed to get people two months. That was supposed to get people into June. We're now in July, you know? And it was like, we all knew that like our businesses are not coming back by June. Uh, and so we need to do more than that. And that was the the origin of that there. And so with the, you know, you understanding that, uh, more needed to be done beyond, uh, you know, like simple local fundraisers or, you know, people bringing, um, you know, doing t-shirt designs and stuff like that and understanding that there needs to be some sort of governmental lobbying going on. 
Um, you know, how, like, I don't even know where to begin, like putting something like that together. So like, Neither. you know, right. So I, I mean, how do you even, uh, you know, I guess start to wrap your heads around the fact like, okay, this is, these are the the steps that we kind of need to take. And, uh, you know, here's how we can kind of execute it. Yeah. I mean, there's one, we just knew we needed a big, awesome lobbyist in DC, which is what we went out and got, uh, you know, like, they were willing to work with us more on that. They just realized like, Oh wow, you guys are in such like a worse situation and no one was like talking about it. So that was like sort of step one. And then step two was like, actually we're building an organization from scratch. Like there was no one that really represented us in a way that every other industry has associations and leadership and, you know, big players that, you know, can take that lead and no one was talking about us. And so we had to build that from scratch. And, you know, we started our save our stages campaign, which is still the campaign we're pushing to get raise awareness and get fans involved. Um, That's sort of the public facing campaign is for fans to come out and support. We've now through, through our save our stages uh, uh website we've now sent over a million emails to congress from fans going to the website and uh telling congress that they care about their independent venues and you know so that that's pretty that's that's incredible when you have uh you know because most of the time when people see these you know online causes whatever they may be whether it's you know fundraising for an individual or you know helping it's like you know just seeing certain things that i never thought i would see where it's just like save the troubadour it's just like oh my gosh like this is crazy um but what you know what would you what would you say kind of you know uh two to three steps of things that people can do uh to you know get involved with the save our stages campaign you know one i'm sure being just the uh, the simple act of reaching out to your local government representatives and, you know, trying to be as specific as possible with the uh, venues that you're trying to advocate for. But, you know, what are some other ways that you've seen people kind of take action? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the easiest one is going to our website. And if you go to saveourstages.com, there's a form to email your Congress people and it knows you put in your information and it knows who your representatives are to email so you're emailing your representatives and it's got a form email that you can edit if you want, or you can just use our stock one. Uh, that takes 30 seconds and is so, so important that they hear from that, know that real people are doing it. You know, everyone knows that we don't have a big lobbying group or, you know, there aren't a big association that like, this is all grassroots and real. This isn't the NRA and weird AstroTurf manufacturing <laughs> yeah there's no big money supporting us you know we're all venues that are broke uh you know the whole point is we have no money to spend on this so it's all grassroots but you know just simply sharing your story sharing the sharing save our stages sharing your favorite venue telling that story that this is something that is important to you that the these venues are not going to come back if people don't you know, regular people don't step up and say it's loud, say it loudly and say that it's important. It's like, what do you want? You know, what I think right now, there's a lot of things that we're assessing and we're talking about changing and hopefully some big change happens in America to fix a lot of problems we've had. But I don't think a problem we've had is the music venues. Like that's something that we want to come back. And, you know, I think we need to be doing as a country thinking about what comes back when this is over and what 
what comes back and what changes. And I think most people would say they want their favorite venue to come back. They want their shows to come back. They want the artists that they care about to tour again. Like that is not something that people were, you know, you know, I, I, I can talk about a lot of things I wish would change in the industry, but as far as the fan experience, these venues are better than ever today. You know, the production's better than ever. The experience for the fan is better than ever. This, the artists are better than, ever, you know, as good as they've ever been, you know, the production's better, you know, we want that to come back and people need to say it. Um, we are, we haven't really been asking direct. We haven't been doing any big fundraiser for Neva itself from consumers, you know, from fans. We've been just asking people to donate to their, like to the venues they want to support. Uh, but we are working on some fundraiser ideas for, uh, a relief fund to help venues. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out how, a way to do that and hopefully we can announce something real in the near future. But also a lot of artists have been doing some stuff. We just had fish just did a live stream that supported us, you know, Whitney and Japanese breakfast did streams that supported us. Killswitch and D gauge did a mass that supported us. So there are lots of little ways out there that, you know, do help. Um, but yeah, just, being loud and vocal right now is what we need. We need attention. And one of the things that's made this work so well is that like everyone not, may not care about the same artist, but everyone cares about some artists, you know, it's like whether you're a country fan or a metal fan or a jazz fan or a hip hop fan, or, you know, Neva represents, we we're including comedy clubs are part of Neva, you know? And so it's like, if you care about your comedy scene, like all these comedians come up in small comedy clubs the same way small rock bands do. So it really is this universal. It's like, even if you can't agree on the artists you care about, we can all agree on the show, you know, the, the music and the experience, whether, whether you're a Garth Brooks fan or a rage against the machine fan, you know, you're, you're still a fan of music. And yeah, you gotta, you gotta have a space to be able to, you know, create these communities. And I think that's what is the through line in all of this is the idea that, you know, all of these communal spaces that we all have been used to, um, you know, like, I mean, going all the way up to like, you know, churches and like all of these things, are, you know, have been, you know, irrevocably damaged. And now it, to your point, it's a matter of like, what's, what are the most important things to you? And what do you want? Uh, you know, the, the, the experience will be different when it, you know, comes back, but what is important? And, you know, to me, the, the, like you were saying, the actual venues of this, uh, you know, whether it's music, comedy, all that stuff, like that's the most important thing because it is able to create community in ways that, you know, so many other things aren't because they're such a disjointed experience. Yeah. And like, that's our point is it's like, it's not save these venues for the sake of the venues. It's like, you need, we need to save these venues to save the shows and to save the artists and to save those community experiences. Cause we're kind of the bedrock that that's built on. Like, you know, as a, a, a new artist, like the venues you play at are the first entry to the music industry. The venues are there before the agents are there, before the managers are there, before the lawyers are there, before the labels are there, before the sponsorships are there. It's playing, you know, it's being that sc in school of rock and playing at a local venue. It's being in a high school band and playing the battle of the bands. The venues are the starting point of that. They're the bedrock that everything else is built on. And all, all the way up to the superstars, you know, with very few exceptions, started playing in their local venues. And that 
that's what needs to come back is it's not just to save these business owners you know it's like no you're saving these spaces and you're saving this stepping stone that's vital for artist development and every artist should understand that and i mean every artist does understand that uh you know but like that piece in the ecosystem where sometimes the least talked about in some of that regard you know whereas it's all when did the label discover you when did this a and r guy come or you know what are those you know those big breaks but those big breaks happen long after the show started you know yeah and especially yeah the rooms in which the breaks happen like that's yeah that that's a very important uh you know puzzle piece where because realistically you need these venues to suck at until you get better yeah. <laughs> like it's like yep i could i mean there's so many bands you know being 20 years into this almost almost 20 years into this now it's like there's so many bands where it's like oh those guys are amazing those guys are so good and i was like yeah i remember when they sucked <laughs> you know like i, I remember yeah. watching them when they couldn't play their instruments and couldn't write a song and then you but you could see the drive and the motivation and the the you know the passion and you go like that guy's going somewhere and you go that guy's going somewhere he's a horrible drummer and you're like oh no but that guy's going somewhere there and like you know, 10 years later, everyone's like, that's the best drummer ever. And it was like, you know, the local venue remembers. Yeah. I remember when he wasn't, <laughs> you know, but yep. everyone starts there, you know, no one started amazing and they're all starting. Uh, we have this kid uh, who's part of school of rock in Phoenix wrecker. Who's nine years old, who just did a fundraiser for Neva, who we've had at rebel, it's this nine-year-old drummer and he's a little prodigy, you know, and it's, you know, he's, he gets, you know, he's nine and he gets it. And is, uh, it's really super, it's the most adorable thing. This nine-year-old drummer who's super passionate and, you know, he's going to do huge things. Is he the best drummer alive right now? No, he's not. He's nine. But as as a nine-year-old, he's incredible. You watch him and you're like, you're nine, (laughs) you know, Uh, that kid's going to do amazing things. Um, you know, and so we're see, you know, we're seeing that before anyone else does. The venues do, and you know, so often it's like you hear about that discovery moment of the A and R guy or the label. Well, they're watching them on stage in a venue, and oftentimes it's the promoter that told them about it. You know, a uh, little bit less in this day of the internet and SoundCloud and viral. You know, we're not necessarily the first on some of these viral buzzes anymore. But you just go back. You know, Arcade Fire, it was a promoter in Toronto that was making calls saying, you guys need to pay attention to this band, you know, Um, and so many of those where it's like, oh, you need to put this band as opening for your other show. And then, you know, that's how people get discovered all the time. And it's that that's what needs to survive because it's the starting point. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, not only, you know, from a selfish perspective, but just the fact that, you know, there is so much that needs to be said, not only uh, fixing the ecosystem that we're all living through right now, but realizing and uh, understanding how important this whole thing is. So I, yeah, I just appreciate you sharing this and I appreciate all your work and I always have. So keep doing it, Steve. (laughs) I appreciate what you're doing. I've I've always liked this podcast and always liked the work you were doing with artists way back when I met you. So uh, you keep it up too. 